Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome, everybody, to It's My Wrestling Podcast. I am, of course, as always, your host, Christie's. Today, I am joined by my very good friend and pretty much co-host and regular guest at this point, Mr. Mike Nunn. Today, we have come together to bring you another retro review. We did one last month for Royal Rumble 2020, and today, we have come together to review No Way Out 2004, as it's February. And February, well, let's face it, over the last sort of... Five to ten years hasn't really been known for its monumental, amazing annual pay-per-view. We've had lots of chops and changes, haven't we? There's been fast lane, roadblock has happened in February as well. There's been the elimination chamber. But we're gonna go back to the good old days. No way out was one of one of those pay-per-views that I always look forward to, like No Mercy, like Armageddon, back when pay-per-views had really cool names. What what did you think when I asked you, Mike, to review uh, to go back and watch No Way Out 2004, what were your first thoughts? Did you remember much of it? I didn't remember too much. Obviously, my first thoughts were, I'll get to witness Eddie Guerrero win the WWE Championship again. Mm-hmm. So that would be, that was my first thoughts. But there were some good moments in this pay-per-view and some, and some bad ones as well. So it was definitely an interesting watch. Yeah. <clears throat> um... Definitely a bit of a mixed bag, so little little bit of information on, on the pay-per-view itself. No Way Out 2004 took place February the 15th in 2004, obviously. Location was the Cow Palace, great name for a stadium, in San Francisco, California. Attendance, just a modest 11,000. Commentators that we had on the night were Michael Cole and Taz. Final pay-per-view before WrestleMania 20. Let's, if if we're being generous, we could maybe stretch it to a two or three match card. Let's be honest, it's pretty yeah. much a one match card in terms of what people remember it for. The main event being Brock Lesnar defending the SmackDown World Title against Eddie Guerrero, who who has reached a point where he almost had to win the title, even though it it still didn't seem possible. Look who he was facing, the Beast Incarnate. Brock Lesnar tearing through roster. How long did how long have you been there? I think two years at this point. I think yeah. Maybe in 2002, didn't he? Yeah, or, or maybe late 2001. I, I forget. But um, coming right towards the end of his run as well, his first run. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good point. It was only a month later that he left the company. Um, other than that, you know, not not to be too harsh to the talent on on the rest of the card. There was a, a great triple threat match for the next world title shot at WrestleMania. That was between John Cena, Kurt Angle, and the Big Show. We had a really good match between Chavo and Eddie, but. These were matches that I only remembered when I went back and, and watched the pay-per-view again to review it. So, yeah. yeah, there we go. So, a little bit of a different feel and vibe to this um, this retro review. So many retro reviews, not to disrespect any podcasts out there. They all do great work, but too many of these shows go on for two, two and a half hours. You might as well just sit down and watch the whole pay-per-view. So, me and Mike, we're going to try and keep it a little bit shorter today. Do it a little bit bite-sized. We're not going to review every single match. Especially, you know, you'll understand why when we talk about this a little bit more. You might even remember why. You might have been dreading, thinking, oh shit, no, they're going to talk about 
um, Nidia versus Jamie Noble for half an hour. We are not going to do that. It's not worth your time or our time. So we're going to break this down into four categories, four segments, four sections. We're going to start off with a what the fuck moment of the night. We'll move on to the worst match of the night, which I'm pretty sure you already know what it's going to be. Um, The best match of the night and the moment of the night. And I think that's what we're going to do for all of these retro reviews moving forward. Hopefully going to do them once a month. So, yeah, hopefully this structure will work and we'll, we'll take it forward. So... Mike, I am going to let you kick things off, buddy. I'm going to let you start things off with the what the fuck moment of No Way Out 2004. Remember, guys, this is all obviously purely subjective. You might have a very different opinion to what us guys have. If you do, please sound off in the comments. Yeah, there weren't too many moments that you know made you go, "Oh my god!" It wasn't that type of pay per view, but there were a couple. I think we've discussed the one I'm going to go for is. Happened in the very first match um, on the card, Rikishi and Scotty Tuhati versus the Basham brothers and Shaniqua, um, which obviously I did not remember. <laughs> for reasons. But the what the fuck moment, really, the what the whole way Rikishi was just manhandling the Shaniqua throughout the match, and specifically the bonsai drop to finish the match. The image of seeing Rikishi, who's got to be 400 pounds, close to, Completely crushing Shaniqua, who obviously was a, a you know, an Amazon type woman, but still, I don't know. It just left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth, if I'm, if I'm honest. I, I wasn't a big fan. So, what the fuck moment for the wrong reasons rather than an enjoyable shock? Something that I'm glad they've moved away from that sort of thing. Yeah, they were, they were <laughs> pushing intergender and, and mixed matches at the time, weren't they? There was a lot of yeah. male on female or female on male violence. Um <clears throat> but but it was it was rare that like you say a, a four hundred pound man came crashing down on a as you say very strong woman but still in comparison to a four hundred pound man maybe not so maybe not so strong. Um yeah, I mean, it would have been done, you know, with <clears throat> consent and it would have been done oh yeah approval and it would have it would have been done safely but if you're if you're buying into it and you don't try and blur the lines too much it, it does look pretty pretty brutal doesn't it so it yeah, does I, yeah i completely agree with what you said before you said your moment there weren't too many what the fuck moments here and this was this was a time and an era in wwe where they were trying to sort of like push the envelope a little bit where they were trying to push boundaries and there were a lot of shocking moments um yeah obviously i know we were probably about five four to five years removed from the attitude era so we weren't seeing as much shock no but it was still we know, hadn't entered the pg era yet or or even the ruthless aggression era so yeah little murmurings coming over from the attitude era but i'm i'm gonna go with um and this was one that you you pointed out to me i i had a couple of ideas none of them were particularly shocking and I don't think this one even in itself is particularly what-the-fuck-esque because, <clears throat> you know, it was part of the story. It would have been signed off before and I'm sure Eddie Guerrero would have, you know, been fine with it. Yeah. Not to spoil it too much for anybody who hasn't seen No Way Out 2004 or doesn't know what the ending of the event was, but mine would be uh, Michael Cole on commentary saying that something that happened in the main event, Brock versus Eddie... Um, gave Eddie Guerrero a different kind of high. So, knowing what we know 
since his death, only 18, roughly 18 months after this event, how he died, the fact that the Attitude Era was long behind us, it just felt a little bit cheap and a little bit unnecessary. I know we've seen similar storylines, mainly focusing around guys like Jeff Hardy and CM Punk. Um, yeah, it, it, it just... Um, in that moment, for me, even even going into rewatching this, knowing what the the main event outcome was, and knowing how huge that moment was, it, it still it just felt a little bit like, oh, okay, yeah, you you know, you could just you could just focus on on the good, on the positive outcome from the main event. You didn't really need to go back and mention, oh oh oh, but don't don't forget, Eddie Guerrero's great, but he's also a recovering addict. Yeah, it just it just didn't feel, you know. I'm sure this is the kind of thing that Michael Cole, you know, commentators are always told to say shit that they're they're not comfortable saying. Michael Cole once told us that fucking Jerry Lawler had anal bleeding. No, so... <laughs> I can't. Yeah, I understand. They were pushing obviously the narrative. Eddie was recovering. He had his demons, but that line just didn't really add much to to the moment. Rather, you could have said something like he's overcome his demons or something like that, but. So I think he almost made light of it with that comment. I was a different kind of hire. A bit of, made it a bit of a joke, you know. You know how the whole recovering addict he met that was made into a joke when it should have been like a triumphant story, which mostly it was. But that comment wasn't the best. Yeah, and we know who will have been in his ear. He probably didn't have that line planned. I don't think Michael Cole nah. liked that. Um, nah. People like to talk a lot of shit about Cole, but he's he's very very good at his job. I think. Yes. Chances are, yeah, he had a he had a certain Mister McMahon in his ear there. Um, right, let's move on then. Um, let's move on to the worst match of the night, and I'm gonna I want to lead on this because I want to. I I didn't want to review every single match, but I sort of want to review this a little bit. I'm gonna give a little bit of context as to what was happening in the match. So, so so my choice for worst match, and I imagine a lot of people's, and I'm sure it's gonna be Mike's, is. Jamie Noble versus Nidia. Um, WWE were, as we alluded to before with Rikishi and Shaniqua, were sort of pushing that intergender. But the the kind of intergender that they were pushing at the time isn't really like the intergender that we've seen in recent years. I know it's died off a little bit more now, but like Tessa Blanchard versus Sammy Callahan and, and, and things like that, where, where the woman was was built to be as good, if not better, than the man, and stronger, and could could beat up the men. China would be, uh, like, the ultimate example of that. Um, Nidia was not built in that way to beat somebody like Jamie Noble. I know Jamie Noble's not exactly the most intimidating <laughs> of guys, you know, um, but, but a bit of, as I say, a bit of commentary on the match. Jamie Noble is blindfolded. Um, I don't fully remember. I wasn't particularly invested. I don't really remember why that was or, or what the build was to that. It must have just. I, I imagine it was something like, "Oh, I could beat you blindfolded." You know that that old classic. I could beat you with one hand tied behind my back. That kind of thing. So, so during this match, Noble can't see. Falls out to the floor. Nidia gets in some offense. Starts slapping him. Get back in the ring. Nidia hits a drop kick. She's she. I would say that. I think it's safe to say she dominates quite a bit of this. This match, um, yeah, went onto the mat a bit, throws Noble off. Uh, Noble manages to back her into the corner, doesn't realise that she's in front. Um, Nidia pulls his shorts down for a bit of a bit of cheap comedy, a grab of the leg, doesn't get Noble anywhere. Nidia sends him back to the outside again. It's all the crowd weren't particularly invested in this. I wasn't. I don't think I was 
back in 2004 when I was 15. Um, Nidia's taunting him a bit, trips him over, all very silly and nonsense. Nidia finally starts beating on him, goes up, allows Noble to pull the hood up, slams Nidia back down. Um, and then, as we discussed beforehand, a surprisingly strong... Um, a surprisingly strong finish for Jamie Noble to get the win here. Like a, a triangle, like guillotine choke to make Nidia tap out. Yeah. Looked pretty um, not realistic. That's the wrong word. It looked it looked a bit rough. Um, that's all of the highlights that I could really pick out of this match, and none of them are highlights. It was it was just a match we didn't need to see. Like you could tell. For anybody who isn't aware, and I, I should have said this earlier, No Way Out 2004 was a SmackDown pay-per-view. And you can yeah. tell SmackDown was kind of in trouble at this time as this was as good of a way as they could to find to fill time on a pay-per-view, despite the, the roster that they had, I think. I mean, uh, I, I, I can't remember exactly what he'd have been doing at the time, but Edge may have had an injury or something, I don't know, but he was a part of SmackDown at this time. Uh, you had the SmackDown Six, didn't you? Would, would Batista have yeah. been? Around? Batista must have been around at this point. I think Batista may have um, been on Raw at this point. I think he sort of swapped shows with Cena a, a year or so, or a year or so later, maybe. Well, as I said, the comedy, the comedy was something that a six-year-old might find funny. And while Nidia was miles better than most, certainly better than somebody like Shaniqua in in the in the match that we mentioned before. She, yeah. she, during this match, against a man who wasn't able to fight her because he was blindfolded, she still looked like someone who'd only been doing this for a short amount of time. Like, this was just, this was awful. There was no no reason to have this on pay-per-view other than a way to fill a spot. And as I said, yeah. there, was, there was a match on Sunday Night Heat. I can't remember exactly who was in it. Um, I know it was Ultimo Dragon, Paul London, I imagine Brian Kendrick. Um... Tajiri was on the other team, and I can't remember the other two guys. But you had you had you had a three on three tag match. Like there was no need for that to be on heat. Essentially, like putting fucking Ricochet and Ali on on main event to have banger after banger. Put that on the main. Yeah. Event. You know, um, Mike. As I say, I'm pretty sure you agree with me that this was the the worst match of the night. Would that be safe to say? Yeah, it, it certainly would. I think mean, you've pretty much covered it. So, what you said about um, this type of indigenta wrestling not being like today's type is completely correct. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, both, especially this match, but both matches, the, the way the women looked when the men were coming after and they looked terrified. Um, you can see the look in his eyes. She portrayed it well. She was she was very fearful that this big man was going to... Which, generally, I wasn't a big man, but he was dangerous. Obviously, he was... Um, known for his submissions, which is how he won the match. Um, yeah, obviously today they tell it a bit differently, obviously a bit more progressive with the woman fighting the man, standing up to the man. I'm not the biggest fan of it overall, but I certainly didn't like this 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 type of interesting. Not at all. Um, yeah, it just didn't need to be there. It just shows where women's wrestling was at this point as well. You had this match, you open up the show with Sable and Tori Wilson cutting an absolutely nothing promo about being on Playboy, and you didn't have any women's title match on the show, you know, or any any proper women's matches. So, yeah, the women, the women at this time were pretty much, you know, eye candy. 
So, yeah, it's come a long way since then. But, yeah, this match was just, no, it wasn't very good. Didn't enjoy it at all. I just get through to the main bits. But how I was saying, Nidia, she's she's okay. You know, she's a little she's fairly athletic. She, I think she threw a, like a Hurricane Rana at some point in the match. Um, she's certainly better than Shanique, well, that's for sure. And she came from Tough Enough, you know. She was one of the success stories of Tough Enough. I think she was there for yeah there for a few years, wasn't she? But like you said, you hit the nail on the head. Like, this was 2004. Women, like, the, the main, I guess you could call it like an overarching storyline that went on for a few years was Playboy, was Sable, was Tori, yeah. was Maria, was Ashley. That, that it, <clears throat> you know, the, the women could go out and... I know they were only ever given, like, three or four minutes maximum they could put on an absolute banger in them three or four minutes and WWE would still give more focus and more emphasis on whatever was going on with with Playboy I think like you yeah yeah when they came out to to kick off the show and introduce the show they they, it was George's very like suggestive and innuendo laden like oh you know we're the 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 superstars of WWE are here to do whatever it takes to make you happy you know, we to satisfy your needs. It was all, all very like. Tell so they're catering for their. Yeah, yeah. At, at the time we were fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Yeah. Lads. Let's face it, we liked it at the time, but. Got the AEW demo there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it's the Attitude Era all over again for me. Like, I go back and watch the Attitude Era now, and I go back and watch this period of. You know me, Mike, and and anybody listening will know how big of a women's wrestling advocate I've I've always been, and I'll always champion it because I think the work they do is incredible. But to go yeah. back to this period of WWE, it's just so glaringly obvious that they did not respect the women that they had, and I think they still had, um, or maybe this was just after they had Trish and Lita. They they might have not too long before this retired. I can't remember exactly what what year that was. Um, but they still they still had talented women. I'm sure Gail Kim was around at this time. Uh, Jazz, I know for a fact, was there at this time. They must have been packed on Raw, I think, maybe with the title. Jacqueline, I think, was there as well. This was back yeah. when it was the women's title and before it was the divas' title. As yeah. well. So they they just they just spent the next few years continuing to disrespect the women, and it's it's a shame. But that's that's a whole other conversation and a whole other yeah. other episode. But yeah. Um, this was completely unnecessary. So, I'm going to move on from that now. So, as I said at the start, we've got another two segments. We've got the match and moment of the night. I'm going to go here and I'm going to. I'm basically going to combine these into one because they 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 do intertwine with each other. My match of the night was Eddie Guerrero versus Brock Lesnar, as I'm sure it is for 99.9% of people watching this pay per view. And the moment of the night is the culmination of that rivalry with Eddie Guerrero winning. Now. I loved this match. I think it's you. You think of the way out in two thousand and four, and you think of Eddie winning, and you think of the, you know, everything, all, all those images. You, you think of him celebrating that win. You think of him on the top rope. You think of him hitting the frog splash. You think of various things, but nobody really pays too much attention to the match itself. Like this was a very, very good match, an early contender for match of the year for two thousand and four. Certainly, the SmackDown 
match of the year, um, as far as I'm concerned. The, the psychology was fantastic. Lesnar working on the ribs while Guerrero worked on Lesnar's left knee. It was fast-paced, but then it was slow when it needed to be, and it had had the kind of finish that people are going to remember forever. The only things the only things I'd say that kept it from being higher rated, like if I was to give it a star rating, I'd say four and a half. The only thing keeping it away from being a five-star is probably the ref bump. Although, I think it was sort of necessary to the psychology of the match because much bigger, stronger, scarier guy versus much smaller underdog. Yeah. Eddie Guerrero, as much of an underdog as he was, he was still that lovable but slimy heel. So you, you knew there was going to be some sort of um, shenanigans during this match. It was it was almost guaranteed. Um, and then, obviously, the interference. People forget, you know, as great as this match in the moment was, a lot of it had to do with Goldberg, um, but other, other than that, this was this was an outstanding wrestling match. Just a great match. Um, the crowd was euphoric for Eddie from start to finish, even when he cheated, even after Goldberg interference. Eddie, as I said at the start, Eddie had to win this match, but I still didn't. I think back at the time when I was watching and really invested, as much as I wanted him to win, I still didn't particularly see it happening. You know, um, but going back and watching it again, it's beautiful to see the way that he rises up the card over the sort of like the year or so before that and the vignettes we always say nobody does vignettes and, and promos like and, and match packages like wwe do and it really really helped to build the story wwe is so good at that you could like when i i took a break from wrestling and i came back during uh the yes movement for daniel bryan and the vignettes for that taught me everything that i needed to know while I was away, and that's that's what they did here. Like they really built the the story beautifully about how Eddie, um, like I say, battled his demons, had all those issues in the past, came back, resurrected his own career. Um, I talked about Eddie Guerrero actually, funnily enough, a couple of nights ago. I don't know. I think we were watching the Ruthless Aggression series, um, season two of it on the network, and I just happened to mention Eddie. And my wife turned to me and she said that she almost wants to say like, "Sorry for your loss." <laughs> Because I talk about Eddie with such love and passion, like we we too often say that a wrestler deserves something, but Eddie deserved this. Like he deserved this win, turned his life around and completely earned it. Um, the crowd reaction for the win was massive. It's one of those things in wrestling that I'll never forget because I was genuinely so invested and so happy for the guy that went through all of this difficulty in his life. He was released. Obviously, people forget that he was released, and um, Vince brought him back. Quite a while later, I don't think it was a quick turnaround. I think he, I'm sure he had like up to a year out or something like that. Yeah, I think so. You know, that's 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 a long, a long period of time. I think these days probably wouldn't be as long, but um, yeah, went through a lot of difficult things in his life and managed to reach the top of the business. This was also the perfect crowd for them to do the the title change at. Um, Lesnar was terrific in the match as the bigger heel who had so much confidence in everything that he did. It's too bad that they didn't have more matches because, as we said before, Lesnar left the company just a month later. Obviously, very sadly, tragically, Eddie died in November 2005, so just over a year and a half later. Um, they had such a great chemistry between them. They had such defined roles that suited them perfectly. In, ter in terms of favourite matches, it's definitely high up there for me because of genuine feelings of joy that I had for, for Eddie. Um, Mike? Sorry, I feel like I've talked for an eternity there. What um, what are you going for for your um, match of the night? Yeah, the same. Eddie Guerrero, Brock Lesnar, it has to be, doesn't it? The, whole, the fact that 
17 years later, I still remember it so fondly and so well. Just speaks volumes. It's one of the most memorable moments and matches I can remember ever watching. You know, Eddie Guerrero finally gets his moment, defeats the Beast, Brock Lesnar. You know, the next big thing, as they called him then. Um, just, yeah, I've, I've actually forgot, like you said, how good of a match it was. It went long. I think it was about 25-plus minutes, the actual match. Yeah. Watching it just reminded me how good Eddie was. The psychology of it, like you said, working on the knee of the bigger man, which you don't see baby faces do a lot now. No. But it made a lot of sense because Eddie Guerrero was much smaller than Brock Lesnar. So you would have to chop the big man down to have a chance of winning. The ref bump, like you said, made sense as well because it gave Eddie, you know, an excuse to win. Again, obviously, the the uh, Goldberg spot, a chance to happen because they were, they were setting up Goldberg and Brock for WrestleMania 20. I don't know if they knew that both guys were going to leave at this point. Maybe they did. Maybe that's why Eddie took the title um, and Brock didn't take it into WrestleMania. That could maybe if Brock doesn't need WWE, Eddie Guerrero never gets that moment. I don't know, but it lined up very well. You know, it lined up perfectly. Eddie Guerrero, yeah, one of the greatest to ever do it in all aspects in the ring, on the mic, charisma, psychology. There aren't many, there aren't many that had everything like he did. So, uh, you know, the moment of the night as well, just that image of him jumping into the crowd. At the end, just before he even collected the title, it was it was not a planned spot. I don't think it was just raw emotion. Eddie Guerrero felt that he he jumped into the crowd. He went over and he hugged his mum. Pure emotion. He'd been, you know, just thinking about it makes you a bit emotional. Yeah, it does. Yeah, um, incredible. Uh... Just amazing. Went back and watched it, and even you know after the Goldberg spear, the frog splash, <laughs> like I was already starting to get shivers. Is probably a bit over over dramatic, but I was starting to get a bit like you know a little bit of goosebumpy. Like oh my god, yeah. I knew it was going to happen, but I was still like oh my god, it's about to happen. This was so good, so cool, so emotional. Uh, no mate, I I completely agree with everything you said. Um, a, a, a little a little thing that I found today after the show, um, <clears throat> after the pay per view, they. They posted some comments from Eddie on WWE.com. I don't know if anybody's ever heard or read these, but he said, It's unbelievable. I can't describe how I feel. It's my dream come true. More than my dream, actually. I know all things are possible now. Even though this was a dream of mine, sometimes I wondered if it was too far-fetched. You want to grab all your dreams of all your heart, but sometimes they seem so far away that you can't. I think I sold myself short in the past, and I hope my victory sends a good message to everyone out there. I really hope it does. Who'd ever expect... A, um, ch- is this pronounced Chicano or, or Chicano? Chicano sounds right. Chicano, yeah. Who'd ever expect a Chicano, 5'9", 220 pounds to win the WWE Championship? I'm just thankful, and there are a lot of people behind it. I can't take all the credit. You can ask God and others for all the help you want, but you better bring the shovel because you've got to do the work. And that that just goes to show the kind of work ethic that the guy had, the kind of passion and belief that the guy had. You know, he, he like many others, and, you know, <clears throat> I know it's uh, he who shall not be named anymore, but Benoit, 
very much the same. And I imagine back in the 90s, probably Shawn Michaels. These were not guys who, in that landscape, should have been champion alongside yeah. monsters and giants like Nash, you know, uh, The Undertaker, Kane, Scott Hall, uh, Hulk Hogan a bit before that. You know, these these were not the sort of guys that you would have ever, ever, ever imagined being being world champion. Um but but they worked hard and they they worked hard for themselves to prove that they were worthy. Eddie proved himself worthy. Um, it's amazing how one wrestler can make all the difference for me because like in two thousand and three, SmackDown tended to be great while Raw sucked. I know we've you know obviously that's pretty much how things are again now. Like eighteen years later, um, then Chris Benoit went to Raw and that changed my view a little bit because I was a big fan of of Benoit as well. Um, while this show is stronger, or, or was stronger than the typical SmackDown pay-per-view offerings at the time, the cracks were, were clearly starting to form. I think I sort of alluded to that before with the with the Jamie Noble and Nidia match, you know. The, yeah. the final three matches were all strong. Eddie versus Chavo, uh, the triple threat that we mentioned, and then obviously the main event. But the undercard suffered in not only a lack of star power, but in actually delivering... Um, you, as I said at the start, you could make the argument that No Way Out 2004 is is like a, a two, maybe three match card. A bit yeah. of a show for SmackDown. World title removed from Brock, given to Eddie, who had obviously been involved in a lot of world title matches for SmackDown for the rest of that year. Um, as I said, my pick for, for match of the year. The three-way three match, you know, the triple threat had its fun moments. The Cruiserweight title match featured the start of Chavo being... The top heel of the cruiserweight division. Yeah, big um, win over Rey Mysterio for him there. Yeah, huge, huge. Yeah, Rey is double Guerrero title wins on a, on a pay per view. I wonder how often that's happened. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah. Ray was massively, massively popular from his day yeah. all the way up until today, the modern day, like nearly, nearly twenty years on. Um, he's he's one of the greatest of all time, the greatest mask of all time. Um, Bit of love for Ray's theme song. I forgot about that one. But yeah. I heard it. Yeah, the original. I really liked it. The his original theme tune, theme song, yeah. was always my favorite. I still know all the words, and I still find myself singing it every now and then. And my wife's like, "What the fuck is that?" It's stuck in my head now. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't ever tell her what it is. What it is. <laughs> Make it one of your songs on the next quiz. Yes, yes, I will. <laughs> Everybody would get it, and then we just sit there, just yeah, it. that's it. <laughs> Um, ultimately, though, like I say, the whether the rest of the show was good or bad, it doesn't really matter. The one thing that people remember from this show is Guerrero versus Brock, and and that's just legitimately great. You know, um, what would you what would you rate this on a scale of one to ten? Like, I'm I'm gonna go for as I said, four and a half stars for Lesnar versus Guerrero, and I'm gonna out of ten, seven and a half, maybe eight, just based off that, like. That's purely off the strength of those last three matches. Yeah, I think um, that's fair. There were some other okay matches. I think you had APA against the world's greatest tag team. That was that's a pretty good match on paper, and yeah. it was it was quite good. Um, Rhino and Holly was okay ish. Um, I forget now what the rest was. Uh, yeah. um, and Scotty Rose for the Bashings. Yeah, those first two weren't great. APA, World's Greatest Tag Team, Hardcore Holly versus Rhino. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, and then, and then the the three, the three strong matches. Yeah, those three were very good. The, the Cruiserweight Championship match was really good, uh, and I had your shenanigans as well with uh, that guy that Ray brought down. I think he was quite a, a famous fighter at the time. 
Um, obviously, yeah, Chavo Senior. Oh. What was his name? Oh, he knocked Chavo Senior out of ringside. Yeah. That was... Was he looking... Yeah, so I think seven and a half. What was he? Was he looking MMA fighting? Like yeah. I have no oh, it, it, was, it was an MMA type fighter who was from, um, obviously, was a Latin heritage like Ray. A bit like Cain Velasquez. Recently. Yeah. That's it. I think it was a big, a fairly big deal at the time. Uh, I literally rewatched this yesterday and a bit today, and I can't even remember the name. But, <laughs> but yeah, no, like you know what? I'm, like I'm, I'm not saying <clears throat> all the matches were bad. It's just the triple threat. I would probably give about a three and a half star. I'd probably give a same rating to the cruiserweight match. Yeah, Chavo um, versus Ray. But it's all outweighed by the main event, isn't it? Unfortunately. Oh yeah. Like I say, like I keep saying, no disrespect for anybody else on the card. I like Jamie Noble. I like Nidia. I really liked Hardcore Holly growing up. I liked Rhino. They just happen to have bad showings and bad matches, especially when you then look towards the main event. Um, if you take away those first two matches and add two much, you know, two better matches, that's a pretty strong, pretty decent card. Even Holly and Rhino could be like a, a fun five or six minute hard hitting match on a better card but on this card it just sort of you know added to the first two matches being bad that match wasn't great either but it was fun enough but yeah the tag match was quite good I enjoyed APA and the world's greatest tag team yeah, as well I was a big fan of the team angle big fan of the world's greatest tag team um, this was I'm glad that this is the no way out that we went back and, and reviewed um no Way Out, like I said at the start, was was a bit of a staple for WWE. It was outside of the Big Four. Obviously, it was one of their most well-received and well-liked pay-per-views. I think they've been doing it for, for quite a while. Um, after 2004, they, they still continued to do it for, for a good few more years. Um, no, no Way Out was always a really, really strong, steady sort of like... It was a really good gap between the Rumble and Mania. It didn't feel like filler, like now you get a Saudi show and you get the chamber and you probably get something else as well. And it's just so scary, but no way out. Never felt like that. Um, there's been some great matches. There's been, you know, the elimination chamber for, for a start. Um, there's been matches like Randy Orton versus Shane over the years, uh, Cena and HBK versus Undertaker and Batista, that great tag match. That was, that was a banger. More elimination chambers. I think, I think it was, was it? Yeah, it was exclusive to No Way Out for quite a while, wasn't it? Um, you had Lesnar and Benoit versus Angle. Well, all of Team Angle as well. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's any more I can think of. Angle versus The Rock, I think, was in the early 2000s. Obviously, Lesnar versus Eddie, for me, is the best No Way Out match ever. Um, Angle versus The Undertaker, I think, happened a couple of years after this. Um, and, of, of course, um, we we went back and reviewed 2001. Not too long ago, didn't we? Um, as a group, we had um, we had Jimmy and George all together. We went back and reviewed twenty years on from two thousand and one, um, and we said that one of the best matches of that year, if not the best, outside of anything that happened at Mania seventeen, was Stone Cold versus Triple H, three stages of hell. That happened at No Way Out. That happened at No Way Out two thousand and one. That's one that people forget about. It's um, a really solid. I just I don't know why. Oh, yeah. 
why they have this obsession with getting rid of all the old pay-per-views and, you know, oh, we had these great names, Armageddon, No Mercy, Vengeance, No Way Out. What should we replace them with? Oh, let's have Fastlane and Great Balls of Fire. Um, and what else? What else has come and gone and not been around for very long? Uh, they don't need the theme names, you know, that you don't need TLC or Hell in a Cell. Money in the Bank is an exception, definitely. Money in the Bank is good enough to have its own pay-per-view, there's no question, but you don't need... I don't really want to know when my Hell in the Cell matches are coming or my Elimination Chain matches for that, you know. Put them on No Way Out, put them on Vengeance, put them on, you know, anywhere else where they, the story makes sense for them to happen. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hell in the Cell... On a show that does, is not called Hell in the Cell, and the rivalry actually warranted that match. It was a, a feud blow off, a serious, hard hitting, brilliant feud. Yeah. Blood feud. Yeah, and it was the perfect culmination of, of a, a trilogy as well. We don't see many trilogies yeah. now, but that, that's, that's what we've always said, haven't we, as fans? Like these big stipulation matches, not so much your street fights and, and all your crap like that, but your TLCs, your Hell in a Cells, your cage matches, your Elimination Chambers and your war games should be should be how you finish a feud. Yeah. They shouldn't just be throwaway Hell in a Cell matches or whatever. We've seen so many of them over the years, the last like 10 years, where they'll have this amazing Hell in a Cell match, this amazing moment, you're like, oh, he's finally finally won the blood feud and then they'll keep feuding for another month or two and especially when it happens in february or march and then you've got only three or four more weeks until wrestlemania you know the chances are it's going to carry on because three or four weeks isn't enough time to build a new feud no it is it is these days isn't it yeah yeah it can be these days especially leading up to mania they do last minute things quite a bit now yeah, yeah, it's a shame, it's a shame. Times have changed and it's just something we've got to get used to. But that's it, that's that's our, our retro review for No Way Out 2004. It was um, it was a lot of fun getting to go back and watch that. Like I said, our last retro review was really weird to call it retro because it was the 2020 Rumble, so like two years ago. Um, yeah. But this, this one was a lot of fun, a lot of fun to go back and, you know, read of some old memories. I remember when when we spoke about it before we started recording, you said how great it was to see um, uh, Thugonomics. Yeah. In a promo, see him in that, that phase of his career before all... Yeah, just come down and cut his Thugonomics rap on Angle and Big Show. Yeah, before the Hall of Fame career, before all of the accolades, before yeah. being the 16 times champion. Um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. Um going about you know nostalgia nostalgia can be can be great and it can be bad um especially like in the communities that we mix in in the iwc and the podcast community nostalgia can really warp people's minds a little bit but this was this was a lot of fun i'm glad we did it um everybody thank you so much for watching and for listening i hope you like the format that we've done i think we're gonna i enjoyed that so i think we're gonna roll with that for the for the foreseeable future on these retro reviews. I just think there's no need, especially on a card like this, I don't want to sit and talk about Hardcore Holly versus Rhino for 10 minutes. Nah, no, no, I don't think I don't think it's necessary. Um, it's better to just allude to it, tell people why they shouldn't watch it, <laughs> and then move on to the good bits. I just want to be a bit more positive with these, you know. Um, 
So yeah, as I say, guys, I hope you enjoyed this sort of like bite-sized retro review. I hope you'll come back around for more. Like I said, we're going to try and do one every month. They might not be so retro. They might be in the last couple of years. WWE have put out a lot of good content in terms of pay-per-view in the last few years. So um, you never know. But we'll try and we'll try and go back and revisit childhoods. We might even look at some WCW stuff. There's so much on the network that we could delve into. So. Stick around, make sure you hit subscribe, make sure you hit follow so that you don't miss any of those. I'm going to let Mike sign off by saying where you can find him on social media as well. Yep, find me on Twitter at Nannyboy20. Come give me a follow, uh, and you can find me on this podcast all the time. All the bloody time. <laughs> all the time. I act I act like I can't get rid of you, but it's always a pleasure, mate. i always always happy to, to have you come along. Um... Yeah, and guys, like I said, thank you again. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, follow, and I hope to catch you again next time on It's My Wrestling Podcast Retro Reviews. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.